0: Amen. Well, I want to thank you for being here tonight. You probably don't realize this, but anytime a pastor preaches a sermon like I preached this morning, you can always guarantee that only the faithful few will come back on Sunday night. So I want to thank you for being here. It's kind of like the 4th of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day, you know. But uh, uh, tonight I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, and uh, if you have your Bibles, that you would, uh, open them up or turn them on to the 24th chapter of Matthew. Uh, we're going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 24 and 25 are two of the most difficult chapters in the book of Matthew uh, because it begins to talk about the future. Jesus begins to predict and prophesy about the end of times and how that's going to unfold. It's very controversial A bunch of disagreements, and people can argue and fight, but uh, I'm a simple man, and I believe if the Lord says something and uh, the Word of God says something, it's best to take it at face value and let the educated idiots fight about it all they want, uh, but just trust the Lord. Uh, and if you remember in chapter 23, uh, the uh, things are building toward a big moment, and uh As you can see here in chapter 23, Jesus is really uh, telling His enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees, that they've got judgment coming. They've got some things that are going to happen because of their wickedness and their unbelief. And if you remember there in verses 37, 38, and 39, Jesus talked about how how I wanted to gather you together, but you were not willing. And I want you to, to understand for a moment that everyone likes a winner. And those people that go out of their way to pick teams that are losers, there's just something wrong with them, all right? Most of those people just like to argue. I was a Browns fan in high school. I loved the Browns in football, and the Browns never won. And when people would say, well, why do you love the Browns? Just because I like to argue. And I still have that uh, terrible trait in me that the Lord has to deal with. Um, But, you know, it's like uh, when Tom Brady's winning Super Bowl for the Patriots, in the middle of McLeansboro, no connections to New England, no connections to Tom Brady. Tom Brady! Patriots! Why? Because they are winners. If you don't know about McLeansboro, we've had a, a couple good years of basketball and you can look out in the stands and people are starting to show back up, but there for about a decade it was pretty scarce. Why? Because no one wants to watch losing. And as we are unfolding this in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, the disciples begin to understand something. Jesus is going after His enemies. Jesus is putting Him in their place. We have went from being on the outskirts to moving up. We have gone from being persecuted to being delivered. And if you have read the Old Testament as they would have read the Old Testament, they knew that the Messiah was going to deliver them. The Messiah was going to take care of their enemies. And so as this anticipation begins to grow, I mean, can you imagine being slaves to the Roman Empire? I cannot. And as you begin to think, maybe this is the time that we drive the Romans out. Maybe this is the time that the Pharisees and the Sadducees who keep burdening us with all of this stuff, that that's gone. We can enjoy some freedom. We can enjoy some moments of victory. And so in chapter 24, we see that they are leaving the city. They are departing from the temple, and the disciples begin to call attention to this beautiful building. The temple was magnificent. It was rebuilt by the Romans and the government, and it was a beautiful, magnificent feat of architecture. And so they're thinking in their minds, we've got our temple... We've got our Messiah. The enemy is going to flee. Things that we have looked at and hoped for in the entire Old Testament. Thousands of years. Here we are. It's that moment of victory and celebration and that we're finally going to receive the blessings that our forefathers wasted. And that's the setting that we find ourselves in chapter 24. And so if you would stand with me, we're just going to read three verses tonight, starting in verse 1 of the 24th chapter. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another. Thou shalt not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age. Pray with me tonight. Father, I come to you, Lord, asking for your grace and mercy tonight. Lord, I just pray that you would speak. God, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. That your word would do what only it can do, Father, in the lives of your people. Father, and I just ask that you would work for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So now I want to just start by explaining that I am a premillennialist. I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe in the millennial reign. I believe just what most Bible-believing Christians have believed for the last... 150 years, I believe, what most Bible-believing Christians believed in the early church, the church fathers, if you read their writings. Um, but at about 300 in AD, uh, when Constantine uh, came to faith in the Lord and the influence that became the Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic Church is synonymous with the kingdom of God. The Catholic uh, Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth. What they bind on earth, they bind in heaven. So there is no need for the church age. There is no need for a millennial reign. And so for about 15, 16, 1700 years, the church struggled with this belief. Um, but as the Reformation happened and Bibles became available and Bible scholars began to understand the Word of God in their own language, the belief that the millennial reign, the second coming of Christ is a biblical concept. And so if you're not careful when you read all of Matthew chapter 24, you'll get very confused. But what I want to tackle tonight is the first three verses because Jesus is predicting something that is going to happen. And when they ask about what is going to happen, then He begins to explain, this is what will happen in the future. This is how everything is going to work. You say, Jake, why does that matter? Because Jesus is teaching them that you must always be ready. You must always be watching. Just a few verses to show you this in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, this thousand-year period is mentioned six times. Six times it's mentioned. You can read in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 3, If I go away, I will come again and receive you unto Myself. In Mark, chapter 8, verse 38, the Bible says, The Son of Man cometh in the glory of the Father with His holy angels. In First and Second Thessalonians the apostle paul in all 5 chapters of 1st Thessalonians and all 3 chapters of 2nd Thessalonians mentions the second coming of the lord in the book of hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 it says unto them that look to him shall he appear the second time apart from sin unto salvation james chapter 5 verse 8 says be you patient establish your heart for the coming of the lord draws near. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. There shall come in the last days scoffers, saying, Where is the promise of His coming? Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And I share these with you tonight because I want you to see that it is throughout the entire New Testament. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see. Revelation chapter 4. John is told, come hither. John is raptured in his encounter with the Lord. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 talks about the Lord returning. I say all of that for this simple reason. That the church is asleep. We have got complacent. We have got comfortable. We have decided that what we want, what we think, what we feel is more important than the mission that God has given us to reach the lost, to make disciples, to go into all the world preaching the good news of Jesus. And so when we look at this chapter, we need to remind ourselves that we're not here to fight and argue, and and I cannot answer all the questions that you have about the end of times. If you'd like to hear someone that knows what he's talking about, I highly recommend Dr. David Jeremiah, Dr. John MacArthur, some of those excellent Bible scholars Uh, On this position, but I want to remind you that the reason that it is important to study this and to know this, I believe it's not going to matter for me, because I believe when the Lord returns and the church is gone, that I'm going. (laughs) I'm not going to be here for the mess that is Revelation chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19. Not my problem, but I can tell you this, there are people that I love that it will be their problem. And there might be grandchildren that I have, if if the Lord tarries, that will be here through those chapters of the book of Revelation. And so while it doesn't matter to me, because I hope to leave this world flying, not dying, amen? But it does matter. Because there are billions of people on this planet. And there is only one group of people who care about the lost. It's not the government. It's not St. Jude's. It's not Kiwanis. All those are good organizations. They do good things. But the church is the one group of people who are to love the lost like Jesus loves the lost. And where they spend eternity matters. Because he finished in chapter 23 saying, I wanted to draw you, but you were not willing. And in chapter 24, he begins by talking about judgment. And that's how the Bible talks. The mercy of God. The grace of God. But yet He is truth. He is justice. And so He tells them here as they are boasting and bragging about the temple that He says, don't you put no stock in that. That's coming down. And we know that just a few years later in AD 70, the Roman Empire burned Jerusalem to the ground. Church historians tell us that it got so bad that people were eating animals. They were, there, were, there were some rumors that they might have even ate other people. I mean, it's just an awful awful experience to be under siege, to watch a city destroyed, and watch the death of thousands and thousands of people. And you say, Jake, why is that important? Because if what Jesus says came true then, it will come true later. When you read the Old Testament and you see the faithfulness of God, it reminds us that He'll be faithful in the future. We see in the Old Testament when God deals with things and people and cities and nations that we should never forget that is an example because if He dealt with them, He will dealt with us. When we read the Old Testament and we see about the prophecies of Jesus and the pointing to who He is and what He was going to do, it is a reminder for us to say, if God says it, it's not a question of if, it's just a question of When? And he says here that judgment is coming. And I want to say this tonight because if we really do care about a lost and dying world, if we really do believe that God is going to establish His throne, can we talk about judgment? You say, wait a second, Jake. You're telling me this morning we had to sit through that sermon on sin and tonight we got to sit through a judgment on, ser- on sermon on judgment? That's just where we're at. But I think it's important tonight to hear that judgment always comes because of sin. And what we're studying on on Sunday morning is the slippery sliding towards sin. And so tonight I hope that you will hear this and see that God is judge. We hear a lot about God as a Savior. We hear a lot about God as a friend. We hear a lot about Jesus as a brother. But when we start talking about God as judge... It is an uncomfortable thing. For me as a Christian, God being judged doesn't bother me anymore. Why? Because my punishment and my penalty has been paid. He has taken my punishment on the cross. The Bible tells us that, that He became sin for us. That He who knew knew no sin became sin for us. That His imputed righteousness, His perfection has been given to me. And so while I am still a wretched sinner while I still struggle and fall and, and, and make a mess of things, that I am covered in the righteousness of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But once the blood is applied, I believe it cannot be unapplied. And I don't even know if that's good English or not. But it makes good preaching. Because why? I'm covered by the blood. But I want to show you three judgments tonight to show you that God will judge. And ultimately, tonight, we will end on the judgment of the lost. Because truly, as a church, if we do not understand that God is going to judge the lost, or if we stop thinking that it's our responsibility, I don't know if this bothers you or not, but when was the last time God called a missionary from this church? When was the last time that God raised up a pastor from this church? God has been good to us. He's raised up lots of leaders within. New deacons, new Sunday school teachers, new... Lots of things. But do you ever ask, does God raise people up to send them? I believe He does. I believe a church that is healthy will see people raised up to be sent out. To go from this place to make a difference in the world. And so tonight I preach. You say, well, Jake, I'm it's Sunday night. Most of us are older. I'm going to uh, Mexico, Lord willing, with... Uh, Randy Stover in November. I've never been on a mission trip. I'm 37 years old. But there's never a good time not to start. Lord willing, Lord willing, I'll be going. You say, well, Jake, I, I just I don't know if I can go to Mexico. Well, maybe it's not Mexico. Maybe it's the Ronald McDonald house. Maybe it's not the Ronald McDonald's house. Maybe it's a homeless shelter. The mission field must be manned by the people that God calls We must stop letting the government do what the church has been called to do. To feed the poor. To care for the orphan. To be there for the widow in this country or around the world. And so I want to show you this tonight and show you three examples about God's judgment. The first comes from God's judgment on Israel. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that God had a people that He called to Himself. He made promises to the Jewish people that I believe still are applicable today, that there will always be Jewish people. One of my favorite quotes from uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell is, how many of you know an Ammonite, or a Hittite or a Hividite, or any of the ites in the Old Testament? Have you ever lived next to an ite? Now, there are some things you could put before that, but that's not what I'm talking about. One of those listed in the Bible. Well, No. You never heard of them. You don't even know if they exist or they don't exist. But I can promise you that if you've ever left out in Hamilton County, you have met a person of Jewish descent. Why? Because God promised to establish the Jewish people. And even though they were unfaithful, even though they were lost some of the blessings temporarily, that God has not done with them. But yet, even though God had a relationship with them, loved them, cared for them, when the time came, He judged them. Ezekiel, the seventh chapter, In verses 1 through 9, Ezekiel gives the people this warning. And we know a few years later they face the judgment of God. Starting in verse 1 it says, Moreover the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, An end end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end has come upon you. And I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways. And I will repay you for your abominations. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity. But I will repay your ways. And your abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, a disaster, a singular disaster. Behold, it has come, an end has come. The end has come, it has dawned for you. Behold, it has come. Doom has come to you, you who dwell in the land. The time has come, a day of trouble is near, and not of rejoicing in the mountains. Now upon you I will soon pour out my fury and spend my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will repay you for your abominations. My eye will not spare nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways, and your abominations will be in your midst. Then you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. You see, we see this warning after God has been long-suffering, after God has sent prophets, God has sent all of these people to try to bring them back. He says, enough's enough. Judgment is coming. You say, Jake, I'm not a Jew. What does that matter to me? If God promised it and He did it, It's the pattern that He sets. But not just the Jewish people. We see in the Bible that God judges the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish in their heritage. Jeremiah chapter 12 says this tonight, starting in verse 14. Thus says the Lord against all my evil neighbors who touch the inheritance. That's all the people around Israel. All those nations that messed with Israel, bothered Israel, picked on Israel, tried to sneak around and hurt them, which I have caused my people in Israel to inherit, behold, I will pluck them out of the land and pluck out the house of Judah from among them. Then it shall be after I have plucked them out that I will return and have compassion on them and bring them back, everyone to his heritage and everyone to his land, and it shall be... If they will learn carefully the ways of My people, to swear by My name as the Lord lives, as they taught My people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of My people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. He says, for the nation that messes with Israel, I will pluck you up. I will take you out. There will be no second chances that you are going to be destroyed but when I choose to show compassion, you'll have an opportunity to worship with them, to love them. Most scholars believe this is absolutely about the nations that were around Israel, but it's also a picture to the non-Jewish people like you and I, that there is coming a day in the New Testament when God is going to give us an opportunity to worship Him, to be brought into His family, to be a part of His kingdom. To go from being an outsider to an insider. From being an enemy to a friend. But yet God judged the Gentile. And this is the third and final thing I hope to be short tonight. Is the judgment of the lost. And you say, Jake, that's a big jump from Israel to the Gentile to the lost. Not when you think about it. Everyone that has ever lived has either been a part of God's family or they haven't. One or the other whether it was a national jew in the old testament or a gentile or in the new testament a part of the family of god or an enemy of god all people fit into one category and what i see a lot from people today and i even see it in church people and i want to say this tonight in as loving way as i can if you don't think your kids can go to hell you are mistaken and if you don't think your grandchildren can split hell wide open you are mistaken You might be the wonderful Baptist preacher or deacon or Sunday school teacher or whatever you do for the church, and you might love God and serve God and please God in your life, but I am telling you, if a person dies without Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, their eternal home will not be heaven. The Bible teaches that. Now, I don't like to think about that either because my six kids are wonderful. They're beautiful. They... They, they just, I, I can't believe how amazing they are with gray and web blood running through them. It just, it never, never ceases to amaze me. I think you guys are wonderful in spite of us. But when I pray for them at night, I do pray believing that God is going to save them. But I always know that He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to no matter how many people I lead to the Lord on their deathbed. He doesn't have to no matter how many sermons I preach. He doesn't have to no matter how many nights I miss their things doing His work. Because why? They must make a choice to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. To put their faith and trust in Him. And in the book of Revelation chapter 20, You say, Jake, this is a long way from Matthew 24. No, God said judgment was coming, and it did. And tonight I want you to hear this, because in Revelation it talks about judgment coming. And after the millennial reign, after all of this goes on, in Revelations 4 through 19, we see judgment. And if you have your Bible, I just want to flip over there with me tonight, because I want to just look at the chapters before that and just be reminded of the setting that's going on. If you're there in chapter 19, we see that Christ is on His white horse. He destroys His enemies. Heaven is exalted over Babylon. The beast and his armies are defeated. This is a time of great death, destruction, pain, heartache. Satan is bound for a thousand years. The saints reign with Christ for a thousand years. It's a beautiful picture. But then Satan rebels and is crushed. The final enemy is defeated. This isn't a time where more rebellion will happen. It is a time of total victory for the kingdom of God. But on that day, one of the most horrific things will ever happen for the unbeliever. It is the great white throne judgment. Now you say, well, Jake, I would think that... uh, Chapter 20, verse 10 would be bad. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I never was really fond of Satan anyway. Even when I was a heathen, I never was a devil worshiper. Never was in a cult or things like that. and Never had a Ouija board. I always was not very smart, but I wasn't that dumb. I mean, I could even tell there's something wrong mixing with that stuff. And I'd just like to add tonight that if you're into Ouija boards and horoscopes and all that stuff, it's not godly. It's got no godliness to it. So if you share to me that you're an Aries, I don't care. You need just to get saved and get right, All right, I believe that. But in Revelation chapter 20, there are going to be people that stand before that throne and stand before that judge that I love. And there will be people that will stand before that judge that you love. There will be people that stand before that judgment seat that you have never met. There will be people that you have never known. But yet every person that stands before that throne is hopeless without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for us as a church, God has been good to us. Honestly, we have everything we need we're like the church in revelation. We got the money, we got the building, we got the people. We've got more building going up. We've got programs, we've got kids, we've got young families, old families. We we've, we've got it all. But friends, we should never forget that there are people around the world dying every moment without the gospel. Who do you think reaches lost people? Sick churches that are barely staying open. The churches that are seven, eight people just struggling to keep the doors open? Don't have enough for Sunday school and nursery and they're terrified of staying, not staying open? Or do you think it's going to be churches that God is blessed financially? That God is blessed with people? That God is blessed with the opportunity to go and do? It's churches like this one why the bible says when much is given much will be required we will be held accountable not just for how we've used god's blessings here but how we have used them around the world and i want to read revelation chapter 20 to you tonight just because i want you to see this and see the significance of it starting in verse 11 the bible says these words and i believe this is not a figurative event i don't believe it's an it's a it's a It's a reference, I believe it is, a real event that will happen. A literal, real event. The Bible says in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose the face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. If you don't think people are trying to run from God now, it's not going to stop. They will not want to stand before the judgment seat of God. But don't miss it, there was no place for them to hide. You see, people can hide on the internet now. They can hide in different places, but on that day there will be no hiding. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. I don't know if you've been listening today, but I could have swore I heard a pastor talking about each person is accountable for their sins. Doesn't say there that I'm going to have to answer for my parents' sins, my children's sins, my neighbor's sins, but each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I want to be very careful here because some people have taught that this is a passage that teaches you're saved by works. No, talking about lost people. People who have never trusted Christ are going to have to give an account for the good and the bad that they've done. And friends, the bad outweighs the good. Because the good is like filthy rags. But what we see here in this passage of Scripture is a magnificent moment. It's a moment where everything is going to be made right because if you read chapter 21, as soon as this is over... Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's it's the moment that everything is made right. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death. This earth that we're living in that is falling apart, that is collapsing, that is failing every day is gone. A new heaven, a new earth. But friends, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine that moment when the last person is judged. I can't even comprehend that. I'm I'm not a smart man. I'm not an intelligent man. I got a master's degree, but it's just because their standards were really low at that time. It was online, so whoo! But friends, can you imagine what that's going to be like when that last person is judged? And in that moment, every bit of hope is gone for the unbeliever. There's no do-over, there's no I serve a thousand years, I get out, there's no purgatory, there is nothing that you're going to come back as a snail, a frog, a, a tick, whatever it is, it's it. And the eternal home of the lost will be in the lake of fire. But even though as painful and as terrible as it will be for the lost, it will be the greatest moment for the saved. Because every promise that we've ever read, ever heard, ever seen is being fulfilled. And tonight I say this because we started in Matthew 24 because Jesus said it and it happened. And I'm here tonight to tell you that Jesus said it. And it will happen. And what I want to be a part of as a church is reaching as many people whose name will be in the book of life, as I can. Okay, I'm the only one, but that's okay, you're wrong. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part not only of vacation Bible school, seeing people saved. We were blessed. I was wrong last week when I told you there were nine people saved at church camp. There were ten. Did I want to go up there? I preached every night with my shirt untucked. I felt like a bum. I couldn't hardly do it. I'm like, I'm going to put my suit and tie on. They're like, you can't wear a suit and tie to church camp. I'm like, well, I preach in a suit and tie. So I wore my dress pants. My shirt was untucked. And the whole time, I'm just like, man, this is awful. Man, I feel like a bum. But it was worth it because why? Those names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's why we preach the gospel. (laughs) I had lunch with uh, the... uh, (sighs) Eric and Jennifer, we eat at Dairy Queen today, and I was like, "Boy, it's always fun to pour pour your heart out in a sermon and to pray and to preach and to and to give it everything you got." And the time of invitation comes, nobody moves. It's not my job to draw you. It's not my job to do. I know that. Trust me, I know it's the Lord that gives the increase. But in your mind, you ask yourself, "Man, is it me? Is it them?" The Spirit's at work. He's doing, moving. Because why? We want to be a part of something that will forever change the destiny of people. That's what we want. You say, well, Jake, I'm not really worried about it. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about how it's all going to happen. Tim Lee preached, and I think I agree with him. That we will watch this judgment as believers. I don't know where you fall on that or not. But I cannot imagine that. Watching a grandparent. Here depart from me I never knew you. I can't can't imagine if it was a wife. Depart from me I never knew you. I really can't imagine a child. Some of you who have grandchildren. Grandchildren. Can you imagine that? I don't say that to scare you tonight. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. But I do say that tonight to motivate you. That God wants us to be about His business. You say, Jake, I just don't feel comfortable sharing my testimony. I just don't feel comfortable going on missions trip. I, just, I don't feel comfortable. I want you to look up here, and I want to say some of the most profound words that have ever been on a pillow. Suck it up, buttercup. Suck it up. You have been called to share what God has done in your life. You have been called to go to the nations with the gospel. And just like we can make excuses for our sin, we can make excuses not to serve. We can make excuses not to do. And tonight, my challenge to this church is when we are being given our rewards, not for salvation, but service, that we will see the list of thousands and thousands and thousands of names that we were able to be a part of to reach for the kingdom of God. I'm afraid some churches, they ain't going to have very many. Do you know that in Illinois, over 500, over half of the churches that we have will not see one person saved this year? Not one person. Out of those 1,000 churches, almost 750 will see less than five people saved. Some of them are going. Some of them are trying. But many of them just don't care. And tonight, my prayer is that this would never be a church that doesn't care. Pray with me tonight. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know I have been guilty of being selfish. I know, Lord, I've been guilty of not wanting to go, not wanting to do, not wanting to share. Lord, I know I've been guilty of what people would say, if they would receive it or not, but God, I pray that you'd give me the boldness to share the gospel, not just in these walls, but as we go. Father, I pray that you would work in this congregation's heart tonight to have a love for you and a love for lost people. God, help us to know that judgment is coming. God, help us to know that you are coming. And Lord, that we would be busy until you come for your glory. God, I pray tonight that if we have not been that church, that you would forgive us. Or Lord, we've been halfway in and halfway out, that you would make us fully committed. And God, that we would be used by you. I pray tonight, God, that you're working on someone's heart. That maybe they're called to be a missionary, called to be a pastor, called to go on a trip to reach lost people for you. God, I just pray that you do great things for your glory and your glory alone. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.